unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic, and I'm excited because we have returning guest Doug Pugh on the show, and we're going to be talking about something that I think is a very interesting topic, so I'm excited for today's episode. Yeah, I am too. When Doug told me about this, and he wanted to have it sort of as a little PS in the last episode, and I said, oh, please, let's do a whole show on this. He said, sure. So here's the thing. What do you do when your copy is coming in fits and starts? Or worse than that, you're staring at a blank page, which is just staring back at you. Our returning champion today, Dr. Doug Pugh, has some answers for you. What he has to say includes information and specific steps you've probably heard nowhere else before. And Doug should know. He's written music performed at Carnegie Hall. Yeah, a lot of practice went in that. At Carnegie Hall and an opera that was featured at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. And he's also written a lot of other sophisticated music, religious music, which may be sophisticated as well, and plenty of six and seven figure copy, too. Doug has developed a can't miss method for getting out of stall and into flow. I'm really grateful and amazed that he's agreed to share it with us today, just as I am pleased to tell you that copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Doug, welcome back, and, and thanks for being here today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sure. So we're recording this right at the beginning of the holiday season in 2023. Um, so, you know, I wanted it to be a festive episode, so I put on a scarf. And also, Doug, since you wrote a tune for our disclaimer at the beginning, I've written some lyrics um, for an old holiday favorite for you. Very short. <laughs> Let it flow, let it flow, let it flow. <laughs> Perfect for our discussion today. <laughs> okay, so why don't you jump in? Um, what are you going to tell us about today? Yeah, so we all face writer's block or creativity block or resistance, as Stephen Pressfield would call it in The War of Art, or procrastination block, right? There's, all, all, there's a lot of things fighting against us as creatives, as copywriters, as marketers, as entrepreneurs, it's all a creative endeavor. We rely on the power of our ideas to make our living and to make our clients' livings as well. So getting in the flow is crucial. We have to find a way to get in the flow, and it can be tricky at times when we're feeling blocked. So let me rewind a little bit and back into my career as a full-time professor and composer to share a few lessons that I've been able to bring into my copywriting career, which helped a ton, if that's okay. Yeah. So first of all, you know, we talk a lot about 
Gene Schwartz, as we should. In my mind, Gene Schwartz is like Johann Sebastian Bach of copywriting. He's this great master who kind of codified a lot of things that we talk about, like stages of awareness and so on. And one of those things is that we don't write copy, we assemble copy. Very powerful idea, very helpful with building blocks. Like, well, if you're stuck on building block one, maybe go to building block two or seven or whatever to at least get something done. Yeah, that's such a key point. And uh, as a copywriter, if you've been doing it for a little while, it really changes everything. You, you realize it's not only a structure, it's puzzle pieces. And you don't have to see the whole puzzle assembled in the beginning. You just need to start to discover or generate the pieces. And they fall together more often than not, right? They do. Yeah. Often when you can get yourself to get into one of them, you get started. And that's the real secret is getting started. So well, let's go back to music for a second. The word compose literally means to assemble. Wow. And when I learned about music, it was like, oh, you mean I don't have to invent something totally new? Because the truth is, for over a thousand years, we've all been using the same 12 notes to create every single piece of music in existence, be it Gregorian chant, Mozart symphonies, Beatles tunes, podcast episode jingles, whatever they are, it's just the same old 12 notes. So you're not going to invent anything new. What you're going to do is you're going to reassemble them in a fresh way. This always okay. helps me when I'm freaking out about, ah, what's the idea, you know? Yeah, that's really good. And, go and you know, I, I just want to reflect on what you're saying for a second. And that is, sure. it, it's, you know, it's kind of like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? When you think you have to create all the pieces of the whole element at once, you freak out when you realize you can just, you know, like the blind man finding one, describing one part of the elephant it just takes so much pressure off when you realize you don't have to know the whole thing and get it all done you might want to have a vision you might want to know what it's about what your offer is but all of the details they can come in components and you can assemble them i just think that was a revelation to me when i first yeah, heard it me too and you know in in music it's the same whether you're writing a two and a half minute choral piece or a full-length opera there's always a puzzle piece that you can put together so what i have to share today is is seven steps that i go through anytime i'm blocked before i jump into the seven steps let me just do one more bit of preamble you know we've heard the jerry seinfeld thing several times i think you've mentioned it several times here of the goal for him and his creativity was not to write something brilliant every day, but it was just to write every day. And that was his only focus. He had this calendar on his wall, and I just had to write at least a joke a day, and then I would put an X on the calendar. And the goal was to never break the chain of Xs. And that's been the reason of his success. So he says, and last I looked, he's worth over $800 million. That's a pretty good <laughs> uh, element yeah. that he's used there. Well, the same is true in music and in copy. If we wait, if we don't exercise our creative muscles every day, they atrophy. 
there's a great composer named Shostakovich, a Russian composer who thought, thought very much the same way Seinfeld thinks, is that I write every day. No matter how much money I'm making, no matter what time of year it is, no matter if Stalin is coming after me with his army, which they did multiple times, actually, he wrote every day. But someday, the fountain's running dry. What do you do on those days? For him, he would go back and find a piece that he'd written in the past that he was happy with. He'd bring it to the piano, and he'd say, okay, I'm going to write a new version of this. So take the same material, but now make a piano piece for a string quartet or make a symphony for piano or something just to prime the pump and keep it going. So the seven steps I'm going to share have helped me to do that exact thing because deadlines are tough. You know, deadlines in copy, deadlines in opera, it's difficult. When I was composing... So, yeah, let, let, let me interrupt you. Sorry, but I, I think you're making such an important point. As creative people... When we have to sit down and create something, there, it's very often us against an empty universe, you know? And the fact is, you know, at, at the most primal form of creation, that might be true. But the, the reality is, it's not so much about generating an entire new idea with all the trimmings right away as getting into motion and starting to move the pieces around, whether they're pieces of a brand new idea or pieces of an old idea once you get into that motion things start to happen differently most definitely and part of that you know there's a bit of a personal shaming and guilt that comes when you know you say to yourself well i'm but i'm a professional and i can't get anything done what's what's the matter with me Right. So I think sometimes I, I've done this. We get into this mindset of, you know, well, Eugene Schwartz says, set your timer for 33 minutes and 33 seconds and do the writing. Or Gary Bensavenga said that he always schedules three hours a day to get his writing done. And I used to think if I'm not actually writing the whole time, I'm failing. That is not true. Sometimes the beginning of that time frame is getting myself into flow. So allow yourself, if you need it, some time to get the muscles going using some of these seven things that I'm going to share with you because they work for me every single They've never failed me, whether in music or in copywriting. So should we yes. jump in? To seven oh, things? yeah. Now I can't wait to hear them. Let's hear them. Okay. So imagine you got asked to write a big, huge opera, and you only had 18 months to do it. And you were going to have five different workshops through those 18 months where you had to bring the entire opera each time. And it had to get better and better each time. That's what happened to me. And it was absolutely nerve-wracking because I ended up writing the opera five different times. Now, it got better each time, of course, but the deadline, the looming deadlines were so intense, there was no time to waste. I'm sure everybody listening has felt that with a sales letter deadline or an email series deadline or whatever, but you wake up one morning and it's just not happening. What do you do? Well, here's what I do. So I'm going to give a, a musical example for each of these seven, and then I'll give a correlating copywriting example. Okay. So step number one, I call deep flow study. So I wake up and the, the notes are just not coming. Music's not there. So what I do is I pull out a piece of music that I love. 
just the other day I did this and I, I pulled out Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker Suite because we're getting to Christmas time. I thought, hey, that's a great piece. I love it. Good tunes. So I crack open the score. I turn on a great recording and I follow along with exacting detail. And I'm just like in the music, swimming in the notes, following the violins, following the trumpets in it a hundred percent. That's part one is just getting deep and studying the actual piece of music. So I'll do the same thing with copy. I'll grab, you know, your abacus letter, your $40 million abacus letter or a Eugene Schwartz letter or whoever. And I'll just read it. I'll kind of walk around, read it out loud, hear the language, think about what it makes me feel and just, just study for a while. Just get into that study. Can I make a comment about that? There, there was a, I don't know if they're still around, but there's a very famous language training school where you could learn a foreign language called Berlitz. Mm. And Berlitz was known for the immersion method. And yeah. that's that sounds like your step one is immersion. You're immersing yourself in one piece that already exists. So no pressure to be creative, a lot of pressure just to totally absorb it and immerse yourself in it and enjoy it and allow it to make you smile, right? The same thing happens to me when I am in a depressed funk. Like if, if I need to get out of my funk fast, there are two or three pieces of music that never fail to get me out. One is the last moment of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Another one is U2's Where the Streets Have No Name. Another is Metallica's Enter Sandman. They never fail me. They always get me out of that state. So having a bullpen of things to hijack you from the blocked state into a flow state that you uh, enjoy is great. Oh, here here. I'm afraid he's going to give us a hip-hop reference now. Uh-oh. I'm not. I'm actually going to give just a music reference. Uh, there's things like resonant frequencies where if you strum a guitar string around other guitar strings that are tuned to that same frequency, they'll pick it up. And that sounds kind of like what you're doing with your mental state is you're tuning it to what it is that you're absorbing. Oh, that's Very, brilliant. And that's why I walk around with the copy and I, and I speak it out loud. There's something about, I, I just did this this morning. I was in a funk. I'm driving my girls to school. And once they got out of the car, I turned on Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. And I just sang to the top of my lungs with Bono. And the physical vibration of getting the music flowing through my body. It's like an escape valve. It's like this, I don't know, some kind of chemical reaction occurs. The same thing happens to me when I read copy out loud. I just get deep into that state and it makes me smile. This is so cool. That's number one. Number two, I call prime the pump. Now, number two, you can't, you can't really step into number two until number one is making you smile. Like you got to, mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to find two or three pieces and oh, okay. Now I'm like, I, oh yeah, I love music. Oh yeah. I love copy. When you get to that point, you're ready for step two. So step two, prime the pump. We've all heard this before, but hand copying. I do this with music too. I take, you know, from the nutcracker. I'm like, wow, how is he making that sound? And I write it out, and it's like, oh, that's just a G going to an F sharp, back to a G with this kind of violin bowing. Oh, that's actually pretty simple, but it makes this incredible music come out. Same thing with hand copying. I'm not just writing out the words to write the words out. 
I'm thinking, oh, I know that word. That's a very simple monosyllabic word. But when I connect it with this word and this word, wow, that gives me an image or that gives me a feeling or that gives me. So you prime the pump not just by hand copying, but by the enjoyment of how these things fit together and what it causes in you, like an emotional reaction kind of a thing. Yeah, that's really awesome. So there's an an analytical aspect. I mean, it's not paralysis by analysis, but it's like, oh, I, I see what's going on here. It's not just mindless hand copying. It's very conscious hand copying. Very much so. I, You know, I've done plenty of mindless hand copying. It doesn't do a thing for me. It's like goes in one ear and out the other. But if I take the time to pay attention to how the combinations of things make me feel, it makes all the difference. I, you know, I used to, uh, I still think this way musically, but um, before I pivoted into copywriting, I was very heavy into writing church music for my Episcopalian and Catholic and Methodist friends. And I was actually a composer in residence at an Episcopalian church for five years. And I had this dream. I was like, is there a way? to put two chords together that by going from this chord to this chord, the congregation has an actual feeling that like the spirit moves them when just by hearing those two chords, like, is that even possible? It absolutely is. And I discovered several of these that first convinced me, like when I hear the combinations of these chords in their, all their intricacy, whoosh, I get a feel. I call this emotion painting. You know, we talk about word painting, but emotion painting. And you can do the same with copy. You can put a couple of things together and they give you a whoosh feel. So really paying attention and not just mindless hand copying is where it's at. Excellent. Excellent. What's next? So number three, I call steal and reinvent. So, okay, back to Tchaikovsky. I've studied the Nutcracker. I got into the trip back to March. And dum -dum -bum 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 -bum. now, okay, I'm going to take a little kernel of that melody. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to say, hmm, what can I do with this? It's almost like Tchaikovsky handed me a few notes. See what you can <laughs> get out of this, Mr. Pugh. Okay, hmm. So I'll jot those down and start to play with them. Can I flip them upside down? Can I turn them backwards? What else can I get out of these four notes? There are many very famous pieces of music that have come into existence from this very practice of flipping things around, upside down, and so on. I could name them all, but we'd be here for a while. But you've heard one of them. If you've ever seen the film Somewhere in Time, there's an incredibly famous melody by Rachmaninoff that he stole from Paganini way back in the early 1800s. He flipped it around, flipped it upside down, put it in a major key, and suddenly you have this incredibly beautiful film score kind of melody. So I'll steal and I'll reinvent. Same thing in copy. I'll take a phrase from Eugene Schwartz that's like, wow, that phrase, like stroke wrinkles right out of your face. That's such an interesting phrase, stroke wrinkles. It's visual, it's action-packed, it's visceral, it's got a power verb in there. Like, okay, can I take stroke and use it in another context or another way and play with that idea or find a similar visceral vowel and reinvent it somehow? That's, that's number three, steal and reinvent. 
often I'll force myself to try it five to 10 ways uh, to just like the rigor of doing it because rigor is important. Yeah. And I'd like to observe and actually bounce this observation off you to see if you agree with it. It seems like very small pieces you're getting into your creative process because this is creativity without all the pressure. It's simply, Mm -hmm. can I take something and creatively adapt it without having to come up with a particular outcome or, you know, a, a completed product, just open up that creative space in your mind to repurpose, reframe, rejigger things so that they're different. Absolutely. Yep. That's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're allowing ourselves to just be free. There's, and actually that's step number five. We're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Step five is there's no such thing as wrong. Just allow yourself to leave it and forget it. And it's a throwaway. Maybe, maybe there's something good that comes of it, but it's just giving yourself permission to not judge yourself. You're just being rigorous, taking the thing, flipping it, twisting it. How else can I use it? Variations. Hmm. Step number four is dive a little deeper. So in step three, we took a little kernel of Tchaikovsky's melody or of Eugene Schwartz's letter, and we flipped it and we twisted it and we did all these things five or ten times. But now we want to take what we did. It's like, okay, I I came up with, let's say, seven different ways of using that little Tchaikovsky four-note kernel. Now I'm going to pick one of them and say, okay, I'm going to take this one and see if now I can string out a bunch of other music. Like maybe even make a whole melody of eight bars or 16 measures that came from one of my variations that I stole from Tchaikovsky. It's like, oh, okay, well, if I do it this way, it creates this expectation. Oh, okay, I can come up with the next bit because I expected this to step after and then I expected it to leap after. And you just kind of like stretch it. Can I stretch it further? Can I stretch it further until I have something that's relatively convincing? You can do the same with copy. Take that stroke wrinkles out of your face idea and say, well, you know, I'm not writing a wrinkle cream ad, but I'm writing an ad for my client who teaches piano. Okay, what do his people struggle with? They struggle with hand coordination. So is there some kind of way, some some verb like stroke that's so visceral and visual that I can help them see that this technique that my client has come up with will help you know, solve their hand coordination problems. And I'll, and I'll try to string out a whole thought, a whole sentence, or maybe two sentences that come up with the same kind of visceral reaction. So that's the dive deeper step, step number four. That's really interesting. So what, what I see you're doing is you're systematically building up to the natural state of creativity when, you know, all cylinders are firing, all all pistons are, are moving. I, exactly. I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And what, what I love about it is it didn't come from me. I didn't have to invent the thing that got me to this point. I found it from somebody else's stuff that I already love. So it's like it takes the pressure off. I mean, on the other side of my camera here, I have this huge bookshelf full of conductor scores of music from all histories of, of music. Like there's endless, it's my, it's my music swipe file, right? It's an endless musical swipe file of the greatest minds who ever lived in music. And this is never ending pool of flow starters. 
that's what your swipe file's for. Your swipe file's not to just you know to rip somebody off and plagiarize them. It's to get the juices flowing. So there's there's no end to how you can get the juices flowing with this with this method. Yeah. Well, on the number five, which we already kind of touched, it's not really a step. It's more of a stage. It's like at this point, you got to make sure you tell yourself to not judge what you're writing. It's not about this is right or this is wrong or I'm going to use this or I'm not going to use it. It has nothing to do with that. It's just allowing yourself to be freely creative. My daughter, Catherine, we have six kids and our fifth child, Catherine, she's six years old right now. She is this like magic unicorn creative girl. Like she's in the clouds at all times. It's very hard to bring her down to earth to like eat or take a bath or brush her teeth, you know, because she's in the middle of this creation. She's doing coloring or building or something, right? It's very, very creative. And it's so fun to watch her because she does not judge her creativity. It's just like, how far can I take this? And, oh, and I can add this. And, oh, I can add this. Like, that's what, that's the spirit of this. You need to have a childlike freedom of creativity with no judgment whatsoever. Very important. I just want to jump in real quick. It's that stage where you allow for mistakes, you allow for bad ideas to come, and you say, I'm just going to go with it. That's when the best ideas also come through. It's so true. So true. And you don't even realize it most of the time. It's usually a couple of days later, I'll come back to the sketches that I've made and it'd be like, wow, look what I can't. That's really good. Was that me? And I almost <laughs> you know, kind of forget that you had done it because you're in such a, it's like a euphoria. You're in, the, uh, sometimes this will happen to me when I meditate. I'm not a very good meditator and it's mostly like just breath counting where I'll inhale for five seconds and exhale for 10 seconds. And I try to get to an inhale of 10 seconds and an exhale of 20 seconds. By the time I get there, something happens in my mind. It's this interesting euphoric state where like it becomes bright in my mind and I have the ocean sound on my phone going. It's like, it must be dopamine or something. I don't, I don't know what it is chemically, but it's a state of euphoria that's exactly what happens when I go through this process. I get to where Nathan's just talking about it. It's like, oh my gosh, now I'm in the I'm in the mood, <laughs> right? Which brings me to step six. Now I'm in flow. It's not really a step. It's like a mile marker. If I've done all this stuff and I've allowed myself the freedom of creativity, I, I'm there. I'm in flow. And then I go to step seven, which is, okay, now I can step into the main project that I'm supposed to get done. And even if I only have 30 minutes to work on it because I've been working so hard to get into a flow state, those 30 minutes are magical. And I, I try to not say, oh, I wish I had three more hours. No, because that makes me procrastinate more. Say, I have 30 minutes in the flow state. Okay, magic time. As accepting it and saying, what can I do now with this 30 minutes? That every time this works for me, it's just a, it's kind of magic. That's amazing. I've never heard of a process like this before. I mean, it's detailed, but it's not like busy work or arduous. I mean, it may be hard. It may not be hard. I don't know, but well, I I'm kind of babbling. I don't know. It's great. <laughs> there is kind of the philosophy of force versus flow. 
And a lot of times as copywriters, if we're worried about a deadline, we're worried about, I got to get this written before and this email out before 10 o'clock this morning, or we get into that force state where, where we're pushing through. And this whole series of exercises helps us get into that opposite state where, like you said, the magic happens. Yeah. And it's an interesting balance, right? Because we need to respect the deadline. Absolutely. We wouldn't be professionals if we didn't respect the deadline. But we also need to respect the creativity. It's a, it's an interesting double-edged sword. And sometimes I think we put out, it, I think it's okay sometimes to put out a piece of copy, like let's say an email, that maybe would get a B plus simply because, you know, we dropped this bit of grammar or we forgot the exclamation point or uh, maybe we went on a little bit too long on this one sentence because we didn't really have all the time in the world to go back and edit it with a fine-toothed comb, yet it was good enough because we got enough of the flow state in where we could tap into our customers' emotions and take them through the journey we needed to take them through, even if it wasn't a 1,000% perfect. You know what I mean? It's an interesting balance. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, no, I get it. That, that, that's great. I mean, so much of what makes copy work is the energy underlying it. And I don't know how you measure that or can even describe it objectively, but you can feel it when you're reading it. Yes. You know, it's almost like emotional pacing. Mm -hmm. There's this funny thing in opera. When I was writing my opera at the Kennedy Center, I was lucky enough to have a mentor. They, they assigned me a mentor who's the most performed American opera composer. His name is Jake Hagee. It's like making a film with Steven Spielberg sitting next to you. It was that kind of experience. At first, it was terrifying because every measure, he was like, no, wait, wait, wait. What? Oh, man, you started this, but you didn't pay it off. And it was like, oh, wow. And I, I just, just let it all kind of wash over me at first. It was, it was amazing. And luckily, we were recording so I could catch everything and go back and look at it later. But the thing that was the most instructive to me was pacing. Because you think of a film or you think of a play or a musical you go to on Broadway, if the pacing dips, you lose attention and you want to leave. There's got to be this continuous surprise and delight and playing with expectations to keep our attention, right? Because you don't have butts in the seats, it's not a seller. It's just the same with copy. If we're going to click away, who cares, right? All that work went for nothing. So the pacing of the opera, that changed everything for me, and it made the opera a success. We got two nights of standing ovations. Ruth Bader Ginsburg came to my opera, sat right in front of me with her big, huge bodyguards on either side. But it's this, I think what you just mentioned is like that in copy. There's this underlying, hard-to-measure emotional pacing that if you really understand the the pain and the problem and the emotional need and desire of the person on the other side, if you can get that emotional pacing to not have any of those dips, that's where it's at. It's, it's less about the, the detail and more about the emotional pacing. If you're contriving it, if you're constructing it, but you're doing it outside of a flow state, you're really risking having dips in the pacing. But I think if you write in the flow state, that'll also naturally pull you into enough empathy or at least enough echoing of what's going on with your customer to make it organic and, yeah. and make it happen 
on its own and, almost. And what we just said may have sounded to some as a as an opposite of what we said at the beginning because we said you need building blocks. We assemble copy. But does that mean it's contrived? Well, I guess a little bit because we had to contrive the idea of building block one, building block two, building block three to help us get started. But this is why editing at the end is so important. We get into the flow state for maybe one building block, and then we get into the flow state for another building block. But then we have to zoom way out and do this editing of emotional pacing, but you can't do it in the same kind of flow state as you were in the creativity, which we've right. talked about last before. But going back and reading and feeling and looking for the dips, that kind of editing is really important. Finding it's those really papers. There's a book by a gentleman. I can't pronounce his last name. His first name is Mihali, and it's called Flow. And one of the things that he talks about in the book is finding the sweet spot between when you're doing something that you enjoy, finding the sweet spot between it's too easy and it's too challenging. You don't want mm. it to be too easy because then you lose interest and you don't want it to be too challenging because then you get frustrated and you give up. But if you can find that sweet spot where it's just challenging enough to keep you interested, but it's also, man, I can't believe how easy this is coming to me right now. And you talk about movies when the protagonist of the movie has it too easy. That's a boring movie. But when it's just them getting beat up the whole time, it gets depressing. You don't want to watch it. Same thing with reading copy. If I'm reading copy and it's too difficult for me to read because they're using $10 words and they're using run-on sentences, if the copywriter doesn't find that sense of flow, it's hard for the reader to find that sense of flow too. Definitely. And sometimes that doesn't happen until the edit because when you're in flow, when I'm in flow, I mean, I'm a former professor. So when I'm in flow, guess what? $10 words come out because <laughs> that's kind of who I am. And so I just let them. I just let them come. I don't worry about it because I'm in the flow state. And then we go back and we lower the reading level. So don't don't put the brakes on while you're, while you're in flow state. When you get to that euphoric flow state, milk it for all it's worth and then come back and clean it up. This is a fantastic episode, Doug. Thank you so much for coming back on, man. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you. It was great. All right. Before we're out of here, if anybody wants to connect with you or maybe continue a conversation with you, what's the best place for people to find you? Well, you can check out my website, DougPewCopy.com, or email me at Doug at DougPewCopyWriting.com. Sweet. And we'll make sure to include that in the show notes. And you can find the show notes for this episode and all of the previous appearances of Doug on the podcast over at copywriterspodcast.com. Thanks for having me. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. This was an awesome show. I didn't really know. I mean, I'd seen some notes, but I didn't understand what your method was going to be, but it's brilliant. And uh, it just so much reminds me of the way masters teach martial arts. You start with one move, then you have a second move, then you teach both moves together, then the third move, then the th all three together very incremental, but strategic in how they're organized. I loved it. It's yeah. funny because when he was explaining this, I was thinking of Capoeira, the martial arts where it's all about flow. And that's the exact same thing that I was thinking earlier, David. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. All right. One more plug. 
DougPewCopywriting.com. DougPewCopywriting.com. Again, that will be in the show notes over at copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Catch you later. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.